This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Inside Access with Jason Lockonfora and Ken Wyman. Sponsored by Stevenson University Online. 1057 The Fan. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a study. Um, and going against him, you know, um, all the time in practices uh, since my rookie season. Those guys doing a great job at all type of blitzes, you know, different areas. Uh, different guys dropping with the blitz, cover zero blitzes and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, Coach Wayne known for his um, exotic blitzes and, you know, just doing this thing. Shout out to Coach Wayne. Lamar Jackson speaking to the media yesterday, talking about facing that Giants defense and, of course, former Ravens defensive coordinator Wink Martindale, who, oddly enough, almost became the head coach of the Giants a couple years back, and then they, they hired panicked. They hired Joe Judge Joe instead. Judge was going to go to Mississippi State. Can't have yeah. that. The word was that Wink was getting that job, but instead he's now the D.C. in New York. But, Jason, Wink versus Lamar, this will be one of the things we're paying close attention to uh, coming up Sunday. Yeah, I— a fascinating chess match. Um, I don't you know. We talked yesterday about who might have the bigger advantage. I mean, the reality is both these teams know a ton about the other and what the tendencies are and what they usually do here. Will someone sort of break with the norm? Will, will Wink do something, you know, unusual or something that the numbers – in regards to how much he's blitzed, how much he's played cover one, how much he's played cover three, because that's really sort of been the tenets of of his defense. Does does he emphasize one or the other more or, or, or de-emphasize one or the other? Does he look at this Ravens team and say, well, they were one passing attack for three games. The last couple, it's been much more constricted. They still might not have Bateman. I know Prochet. I know Wallace. You know, and I'm going to do something. Maybe he blitzes a little more because he just, I mean, I, I, this is a, it's a unique situation. Everything with defending Lamar is unique. And this is the first time that he's going to go against a defensive coordinator who literally practiced against him every day mm-hmm. for years. And I think there's something to that. And, as you mentioned, we talked about it yesterday. I I think that's where Wink may have an edge over Roman versus Wink just because of the intricacies of Greg Roman's offense. Now, that being said as well, no one can replicate Lamar Jackson in practice. There's not another team in football no. that has someone on their scout team that can replicate Lamar Jackson. But Wink Martindale, surprisingly enough, he met with the media earlier, 
And it seems like he's been playing nice. And he said it was just time for him to leave Baltimore. Well, it was time for both sides. We, we do have Wink uh, talking about facing Lamar Jackson. We want to actually hear from him. Most times we were going against him. And the guy said, oh, I got him. You know, because he's trying to stay away from the quarterback. Oh, I had him. We're going to find that out on Sunday. Whether or not they got him or not. It's different guys, but it's the truth. Not only can he beat you with his arm, uh, which he's throwing the ball really well. He can beat you with his legs, his mind, and everything else because he's, he's playing at a high level. Wink from a, uh, a sound tunnel uh, somewhere. But, uh, yeah, he talks about just how hard it is to face Lamar because there's so many ways he can beat you. Yeah, and, again, he has a unique portal into this offense unlike anybody else. And um, it's kind of two-pronged, right? There's the game-planning approach and the week-of-preparation approach led by Greg Roman where you're game-planning for this opponent and this coordinator you know so well. But then there's also the on-the-fly element of it, right? Like when things break down, when when the play we thought was going to be there isn't there, when protection breaks down, when somebody gets hurt, how does Lamar react on the fly? Where You know what I mean? What does that bring out of Lamar? And, and then how does that manifest itself against the Giants, whether he's running, whether he's passing? Um, there's sort of, I think, multi-layers of this. And that's what makes Lamar Jackson – the greatest difference maker in football from the quarterback position is you saw it against the Bengals where he didn't have a good passing day, but then on a must have drive where he led a game winning field goal drive, he used his legs. His legs are always going to play despite whether he's having an off passing day. Yeah, that and, and that was the key Sunday because he did, was not throwing the ball well. I, I am fascinated to see how this whole thing plays out on Sunday. We'll let people know. Justice Hill back at practice today along with Ronnie Stanley. Still no Rashad Bateman, though, so it doesn't look like he's going to play on Sunday. I mean, yeah, I, I would. you'd have to be pretty astonished if Rashad Bateman plays after missing um, what would amount to two weeks of, of real practice, the Wednesday, Thursday practice. What about Justin Houston, any update on him? Justin Houston not practicing. So that's yeah. So yeah, I think at this point you're you're baking into that. You're without your de facto number one receiver. And you're without the guy who had been your best pass rusher up until the point he got hurt. Um and the Stanley thing is interesting, and what we're gonna get into it more at length in the next segment, but it is sort of an odd trajectory, right? And I and we knew it wouldn't be linear. And you know certain guys need, you know, are going to get days off. But if he's practicing less this week than last week, which is a fact, right? Because he was full, full then Friday he, off. Uh-huh. He didn't practice. Yeah. Right. But he didn't practice this week. He, he's not going to be full, full. We know that. Yeah. And we'll see whether today is a limited or a full. He might have been. He might start getting that veteran rest day on Wednesday. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. I, but I guess what I'm saying is, it strikes me as a little odd. Like, you would think that if you're building towards a bigger workload on Sundays, that you would, right? That you would practice the same or more, wouldn't you? Well, they're, he only played 22 snaps. They're going to hand on with kid gloves. I think that's abundantly clear. And I'm with Ken. I think maybe they're transitioning him to this point where Wednesdays will be the vet day for him. Practice in full Thursday. Practice in full Friday. Now, if he's not on the field 
tomorrow, then, you know, it starts to set off some alarms for me, Ken. Uh, yeah, I, I, I am curious to see if, if he's, I would assume he's full today, but again, I, I don't know. Uh, but it, it is, they, they are, as, as T-Bone said, handling him with very, very much with kid gloves. And you do wonder when you combine uh, the fact they only played 22 snaps last week with where they're going this coming week, which we'll get into more in the next segment. You wonder how much he plays uh, this coming Sunday, Jason. I, I think it begs a lot of questions that we will uh, delve into on the other side of the break. Hey, coming up next here. Well, actually, let me let, break down the show for you. we got a lot going on guest-wise. Jim Hunter, we'll talk some baseball with him at 2.30, part of our Baltimore Baseball Tonight coverage. Brian Baltimore, Baldinger, Odyssey NFL Insider, joins at 3.30. Lucy Burge, Odyssey Sports Betting Insider at 4 o'clock. So we are very busy as far as guests go. Yeah, we are. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit of uh, MLB playoffs. We'll take a look at some, uh, as we told you, we'll do a little bit of Orioles offseason stuff uh, every day. When the World, when the World Series ends, the, the business of baseball does begin again. And we certainly, gentlemen, have some tomfoolery and hijinks in store throughout the afternoon as well. Oh, yes, we do. We're going to get some Stone Cold Facts later. It's the Stone Cold Facts podcast edition. That's coming up at 5.30. You're going to want to tune in for that. But coming up next, Ravens back at MetLife. They played the Jets there week one. They're back against the Giants. Will that affect Ronnie Stanley's playing time? We'll tell you next here on The Fan. Inside Access with Jason Ken. You know, we're, I'm, I can't be thinking about that. You know, all of our guys, we're just going to go out there and play. I'm sure they'll have it in great shape, uh, and uh, we've got to make sure that we're in great shape and we're ready to play. That was John Harbaugh talking about the field at MetLife Stadium. Of course, the Ravens were there earlier this year. Uh, that was uh, where one player's season came to an end. Uh, so I, I am curious. It's got to be more in their heads than he wants to let on. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they – it was a topic of conversation, at least to some degree, after the victory over the Jets. Obviously, the Juwan James injury looked pretty ugly in real time and turned out to be pretty ugly. And I'm not, I can't sit here and tell you that I know exactly what degree of any the playing surface played in it, but it happened and, and, and guys didn't seem to love it. Um, and this Ronnie Stanley situation is, un, is as unusual as any mm-hmm. I can recall um, for a player... Of that stature, at that position, who they made a $20 million man at the time, you know, put him right up there with the best in the game. And he's splitting time with Patrick McCurry, more of a journeyman. And even the, we were talking about in the first segment, even the practice sort of regimen is a little odd, a little different. It, it, it does lead me to wonder, guys, if... This is a week where we see more than 33% Ronnie Stanley. I, maybe some of it, T-Bone, will come down to game flow and, and performance. But I don't know that they've got him planned for a, a more significant workload this weekend. Ronnie's comfort comfortability during warm-ups, I think, could, sure. could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. But John Harbaugh, he popped off. On the turf week one, he was more political this week. Uh, Travis Kelsey, I remember him saying that it was the worst surface he's ever played on. And I found some of these uh, graphics this morning where 
from 2009, new stadium opened in 2010, right. 2009 through 2021, the Giants have had the most injuries, most players lost due to injuries in the NFL. But so, we don't know if that's practice or games, and we don't know if it's home games and road games, do we? Correct. It, it doesn't distinguish between right. any of that. But we've seen the league in recent years move away from turf. The Ravens did it. And I think that's by design. Uh, the NFLPA much prefers turf, or excuse me, much prefers grass over turf. It is surprising, given the reputation of MetLife, that they haven't really addressed it. At 2020, they swapped out for new turf. What else? I, I mean, I isn't just, that all you can really do? I mean, I don't know what else you can do with these field turf situations. Yeah, what's the it just how come other? Grass. Yeah, how? Yeah, and, and how well, come? That's more expensive. Yeah, I don't know that they want to do that. It's a billion it's dollar industry. Oh, right? no, you know? well, why aren't they? Why is there natural grass everywhere? I, I hear you. I just I wonder why is the turf better at some places than it is there. I don't know if it has to do with the ground beneath it or how thick some of it is or how how many layers or, or I, I'm the wrong. I'm look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I um, am any sort of expert or knowledgeable in any way about the different ways to lay field turf or whatever. But if we're like, I mean, like somebody's out there pretending like I know what the league says about health and safety, but mm. come on, like. There's so many different things that this league could. Why they play Thursday night football? Why are we going to watch this slop fest tonight? Yeah. No, I hear you, but it's it sounds easy to make the field safer. There's also another graphic that I found this morning, 2017 through 2020, covering injury rates at stadiums, injuries per game, players that left the field. Top five stadiums all have turf, and surprisingly, MetLife is comes in at nine. Uh, U.S. Bank Stadium is the number one. So hmm. there's definitely a correlation there. And again, well, we've seen this in recent years, and part of it is another money thing because it's been reported and studies being done that field turf carcinogens because it's just uh, tires. Ground up yeah, tires. Ground up mm-hmm. tires. So that's another possibility that you're going to see some lawsuits down the road. <laughs> well, look. You would think that there would have long ago been they check what these players wear and whose socks are too mm, high yes. and whose cleats are the wrong color more than they check the field to play. That's just a fact. Otherwise, we wouldn't have seen debacle after debacle after debacle that we've seen at FedEx Field, including in playoff games, right? And you would think in the year of 2022, there would also be NFL-led regulations because these owners are the primary tenants of these stadiums mm-hmm. that the Pittsburgh Steelers wouldn't have pit and four high school games being played within you know while the uh, while they're still playing NFL games and the field's two trash. days later yeah, right like why trash. like do they really need that ancillary income mm-hmm. there's not some other way we could go around this like so there's a lot of things that make you go hmm and clearly these owners don't invest all that they possibly could in player health and safety. Otherwise, you wouldn't see things like this. So, I mean, I, I, I look, there's a lot that baffles me about this league and when it comes to what owners are and aren't willing to spend on. Bringing it back to the Ravens, though, Ronnie Stanley's not the only question mark. J.K. Dobbins coming off in the injury, mm-hmm. and he played mm-hmm. a season low in snaps with 26 over the weekend. Maybe that could even get scaled back too, Jason. Yeah, I, I we're not going to hear this week how big of a deal it is because 
it's everybody's level-headed, and you don't want to provide built-in excuses. And, like, these guys are superstitious. Like, you start talking about people getting hurt in the turf, they believe somebody might get eat that the turf monster might eat a few people. But in, I think the true portal into what they think was after week one. And what's changed there between now and then? They've played more games on it. That's all. And another and another injury that happened week one was Kyle Fuller in the end zone, which they didn't even show the replay. That's how gruesome that was. And we know Jawan James' injury history. Kyle Fuller had never missed a game in his career up until that point. So that's another indicator about the poor uh, conditions of that turf. So we are we expecting at best Ronnie Stanley plays the same as he played Sunday night? Like well. For me personally, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, these practices are not, like, they're not slobber knockers out there, right? They're not padded Wednesday, Thursday. They're, I mean, the, the, you get 14 padded practices to spread throughout the season. So it's it's not like they're out there killing each other. Um, and I understand erring on the side of caution. And they And look, he's talking to them. He's not talking to anybody else about how he feels. But... One step forward, two steps back. What the, the the whole thing has just been odd. The fact that it's like at the very least he will have practiced more last week than this week, despite basically not playing in the second half of that game, mm-hmm. is odd. Like if you'd have told me beforehand he's going to play a third of the snaps, most are going to be in the first half, and then the next week he's going to practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and play maybe fifty percent. I would say, okay, like. Now, maybe you can't make any plans because he just doesn't know from day to day. Sure. But did anybody else think that after he got through that game saying, I feel fine or whatever, that he's going to show up on the injury report two days later? I didn't. I mean, maybe we should. I mean, I get it. We should assume nothing. But I'll just say it again. It seems very odd. Yeah. He had the same designation that he's had the past couple weeks where it's rest slash ankle. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that it's a veteran day. I think tomorrow is going to be very telling. If he's not out there, then I'm concerned. If he is out there, then I'm fine. But as far as his playtime, I think it's going to be as it goes where maybe he's out there the first series. If he's feeling a little sketchy, then it, maybe it's even a lower uh, percentage of snaps, but maybe he feels good with the turf, and uh, I, I just maybe think he a lot needed there. all those snaps last week to see what where this could go, yeah, yeah. and where it went to was thirty three percent, and so they're sitting there saying, "All right, well then, if he's going to pr- play less, he's got to practice less, and in the meantime, we got to give more reps to McCarry because he's going to need him because he's the guy we're really counting on." For for what it's worth, Ronnie did say after the game he felt good out there and he felt good after, so. If we're going to take him at his word, that's what he did say after. But, yet yeah, tomorrow we'll be telling. Hey, coming up next, we switch gears to baseball. The playoffs are going on. Uh, of course, uh, Yankees and, and Guardians rained out tonight, so you won't hear that right here on 105.7 Fan. But Jim Hunter, part of our Baltimore Baseball Tonight coverage, joins us next. Inside Access on the Fan. Jason and Tim sit in the bleachers. Hey, Ken sits in his brother's seats behind home plate. Inside Access, 105.7 The Fan. Remember, there is no Yankees-Guardians game tonight on 105.7 The Fan ESPN's coverage was supposed to be here, but unfortunately the game has been rained out. Astros and the Mariners are going to hit 
about 3.30 they're going to start. Uh, that game uh, will not be here if you can turn the sound on and watch it on WTBS. Alas, we have a lot of baseball to talk about, so let's go out to the Ashley Furniture Guest Hotline, bring on Jim Hunter, longtime voice of the, voice of the O's, part of our Baltimore baseball tonight coverage. And Jim, good afternoon. Thank you, as always, for joining us. The season ended since last we spoke. They split the doubleheader with the Blue Jays. 83 wins. When you think about what were our expectations were when the season started, that's pretty darn impressive. Oh, it certainly was, Ken. It was a, a tremendous season. And one of the things that, that I look to is if you look at their day-by-day, they went above 500 on August 1st and never slipped below 500 any day the rest of the year. And when you're building a team that you hope will, first of all, be competitive, which they are already, I think, uh, with some tweaks to come, obviously, but then you want to contend. The, the, the number one thing you, you need to look at and look for is are they consistent? And for a team that many will say, yeah, they overachieved, they, they didn't get lucky. They, they did it. You know, you, one of the things about this, this organization, you know, you see how uh, Bradish came on. You see how Kramer came on. And one of the things that I observed with, with those two guys in particular was how all of a sudden they realized if you challenge hitters, it's a good thing. You know, don't nibble, don't fall behind, don't get into hitters' counts where you become predictable. And I think a lot of that moving forward bodes well for what we're going to see in the future. So in a weird way, it reminds me of 2011 into 2012. In 2011, they were a last-place team. That was the Andino game, which was the highlight of the year in the last day of the season, knocking the Red Sox out of the playoffs. And then, boom, all of a sudden, the second half of 2012, the starting pitching comes together. They earn the wild card. They win the wild card and almost beat the Yankees in the divisional round after the Yankees have won the division. So there's a lot to build on. There's a lot to be proud of. And, and it certainly it was a surprise, but it's a pleasant surprise because this team has been down for so long and it seemed like this rebuild was a perpetual rebuild, but now they have a plan. They're going forward and they're seeing results. Um, reflecting on the season two, sort of along those lines, what you were talking about, you, you go through the, 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 the game by games, this hit me the other day. So you take out their best stretch, which was the 10 straight wins. You take out their worst stretch, which was the six straight losses, May 13th to 18th. And they still played 500 ball. And they, you know, they had that six game losing streak, what, six weeks into the season. And then I don't think ever lost more than four in a row the rest of the way. Like that, you know, the number of 83 wins in itself kind of blows your mind. But like, you know what I mean? The fact that this, they never had another prolonged losing streak after the middle of May, it's kind of crazy considering where they were. Well, and, and Jason, that's a good point. And what that tells you is the pitching was there to deliver for them. How do you avoid long losing streaks? You hand the ball to somebody who's going to start the game, and hopefully that guy goes out and shuts down the opposition, and boom, the three-game losing streak doesn't become four. And the other uh, godsend of this team this year, and you know who knows what's going to happen next year because bullpens are fickle, but the bullpen was so reliable, and they had uh, so many guys out there that could be counted on in any situation. I mean, they, they trade the closer at the deadline, and uh, Felix Bautista comes on, and you could argue did it even better than Jorge Lopez did. So it, it's all about the pitching, and that's how you – you build winning streaks, you circumvent losing streaks, and how you remain competitive to your opponent on whomever you're playing that day. 
And again, now Mike Elias is on the clock because he made that statement at the trade deadline. Now it's time to move forward and add to the major league team. And he reiterated that in his end of season press conference where now they're looking to add to the major league teams. Now, how that happens, who knows? But the pitching is where is a good place to start. And I saw Rock's column today about the left field wall, which amazingly enough, all this time later is still a topic. But Mike Elias was quoted as saying, now free agent pitchers will be attracted to pitch in Baltimore because of what we did to the wall in left field. It's a much more fair ballpark. So, uh, you know, I, I would love to see them add a veteran bat, somebody who's been through the wars before uh, that the young guys could go to when they're struggling and say, hey, what about this, what about that, like what the Astros did in 2017 when they brought in a few veterans, uh, not to mention Verlander at the trade deadline. That, that was a heck of a pickup. Yeah. Uh, but uh, – uh, I would like to see them do that in any way that they can, that they can enhance their starting pitching at the front end, even if they have to give up some of these prospects they've been hoarding, and hoarding very well, by the way. Uh, they've been building very well with what they have to deal with and what they have to choose from. Uh, I'm all for that because that, that's where you win. You, you, know, you look at what the Phillies uh, have done down the stretch here. They lost a tough game yesterday, but when you have Wheeler and Nola at the top of the rotation, that's a pretty good one-two punch. That, that's what the Orioles need to get to where they have two guys that every time they hand them the ball, it was like when John Means was healthy. When they handed him the ball, they felt like they had a chance to win. I think that's the next step for this team to get the top end of the rotation where it's so reliable, every time they go to the mound, you think you're going to win. Mike Elias also talked during that presser, Jim, about possible extensions for pre-arbitration players. There's Adley, there's Gunner, and obviously a heck of a lot of other guys. Do you see Mike Elias trying to be aggressive in locking up someone long-term? You know, Tim, I think that would uh, behoove him to be practical of what the markets are becoming. And I think the best example should be the Atlanta Braves. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a team in Atlanta that's won five straight division titles. They have Alves wrapped up. They have Acuna wrapped up. They have Riley wrapped up. They have Harris, the center fielder, wrapped up. These are contracts that maybe pay a little bit more up front but it's fair over the course of the deal. Plus, it gives the franchise cost certainty moving forward because they know what the core of this team is going to make next year and the year after and the year after that, and they can go from there. So maybe it's a little early for Gunner. Uh, maybe one more year you go after him, but I wouldn't mind if Hayes is part of their long-term future. I wouldn't see them lock, mind locking him up. If Mullins is part of the long-term future, same thing. And, you know, the one thing uh, about Anthony Santander, uh, I'm a little reluctant when I keep reading that he's their main trade chip. I don't know how you replace that power if they do, in I'm fact, feel that. I, I would rather they, they trade some of the higher-end prospects that they feel are blocked by other higher-end prospects. And I'm sure you guys have noticed what Kerstad is doing in the Arizona mm. Fall League. I mean, all of a sudden he's swinging the bat like they said he was going to swing the bat when they drafted him. Uh, I, I would not be so fast to trade Santander because then somebody's got to replace that production, and I don't know who that person is. But, uh, Tim, I think you're right on to something. I think you follow the blueprint that Atlanta has done, and you lock these guys up that you know or believe are going to be a strong part of your base moving forward, and then you go from there and you fill in around them. Talking to Jim Hunter, it's inside access here on the fan. Jim, could they go into free agency and look for a bat? Obviously, there's a lot of guys in this lineup we like, but – they didn't hit great down the stretch. Do they go get a veteran bat? 
Well, that would be the the easiest way, Ken, to do it because then you don't give up any of those precious prospects. You know, you you just sign a check and you hope that uh, somebody is willing to come there. Uh, I'm not sure how high they go. I mean, I I don't think they're going to be looking at the top tier, especially because this free agent class, at least early on, looks like the top tier. They're all shortstops, and uh, the Orioles certainly don't need a shortstop. I mean, I know Mateo drives people crazy with his inconsistency, but when he is on his game, he's a, a tremendous player to watch. He has tremendous athletic ability, stolen base ability. He's got a great arm. I'd love for him to be a little bit more consistent on the routine plays. He's brilliant at the the difficult plays, uh, but the routine plays, they're more them than difficult plays. I'd like them to be more consistent, but I don't see them going out there for Carlos Correa, although he's got a pass with Mike Elias. Mike Elias drafted him. Um, But there certainly will be players out there that possibly could be an upgrade to what they have and, more importantly, can blend in. You know, you, you look at that 2017 Astros team, one of the guys they brought in was Carlos Beltran. He was a veteran who had been through it, knows about his game, knows about doing what he has to do day in and day out to get it done, and he helped them win the World Series last year. I realized there were off-the-field circumstances that probably contributed to their tremendous regular season, uh, but still, they, they had so many young players, they needed some veterans, and they went out and did it, and I would hope that they would go do that. And again, Ken, that, that's the simple way to get something done. You recognize a player, you go out, you make a fair offer, the player agrees to come to Baltimore because you're building something special, and then you have that veteran guy in your lineup and you haven't given up one prospect. Jim Hunter, always great. We'll talk next week, probably get in, more into the playoffs. Yeah, sorry I, I missed last week. That COVID thing came out of nowhere. No, I hope but, you're uh, doing all right, brother. Yeah, but but I've had uh, back-to-back negative tests, so I am back at it. Excellent. Yes, sir. That's good to hear. Hey, Jim, we'll talk next week. All right, guys. Good to be with you. See you. Uh, coming up next, uh, Tim, excuse me, Jim mentioned Aston Kerstad. We'll take a look at what's going on in the Arizona Fall League and some early look at some maybe some Rule 5 candidates. That's next here on Inside Access on The Fan. Inside Access on The Fan. Sports on demand. On demand. 105.7 The Fan. Rodriguez on the mound. Here's the pitch. Check swing. That time he went. The home plate umpire made that call. And Ditter down on strikes. Grayson Rodriguez striking out people. Something, Jason, that we hope to hear a lot of next year when he's pitching for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, I mean, look, we we were hoping and thinking that Grayson Rodriguez wouldn't have to come up in a discussion of people to add to the 40-man roster before the Rule 5 draft because we were hoping and thinking and and praying that he was going to get a start at the end of the year, which means obviously, duh, he would have been on the 40-man roster. He'd have been on the active roster. Um, But he's not, and so this is one more transaction that they're going to have to make. And look, there's about... I don't know, 25 kids in all who they would have to add, you know, in order to protect. But most of them are not even a point of discussion. You know what I mean? They're organizational guys. They help serve a purpose. Nobody is signing them and trying to keep them on their major league roster for a full season in order to get them. But but I, I think there's five prospects or quasi-prospects depending on how you use the term, who I would go ahead and put on the 40-man roster and and not take any chances with. Uh, and obviously the most obvious is Grayson Rodriguez, mm-hmm. the number one pitching prospect in baseball. At least he was at the time of his injury, then he missed three months, and other, you know, other kids kept 
pitching while he was rehabilitating, but obviously his import to the organization can't be overstated. Um, Look, Joey Ortiz, if we were having this discussion in June, and I did have discussions with people about Joey Ortiz in late May, early June, over there at the castle, and at that point in time, if you would have made them throw a dart as to whether he'd be protected or not, they would have said no because the shoulder wasn't back yet. He had surgery the year before. The glove was great, but he wasn't hitting. He was in a, a real funk his second year back at A. He got healthier. They changed his hand placement a little bit, and he destroyed A AA and AAA pitching the rest of the way, and he already has a major league glove. If they don't protect Joey Ortiz, someone's going to take Joey yeah. Ortiz. This is the kind of kid who... This is like a Richie Martin. Like the Orioles three years ago, two years ago, would have taken Joey Ortiz. But I think it's a moot point because they're going to protect Joey yeah. Ortiz. Yeah, yeah. I, I, no chance he's not on the 40. Drew Rahm, left-handed pitcher, a 2018 draft pick who predated this organization. But they don't have a whole lot of depth in left-handed pitching besides uh, D.L. Hall and certainly not in the high minors. Drew Rahm, very successful at A, made it to A. Showed pretty well in limited duty with the Norfolk Tides. Given all the the dead weight on this forty man roster, I don't see why Drew Rom, someone who will be pitching every five days in Norfolk, and you know what I mean, just a phone call away. Yes. If you get some injuries, I don't know why you wouldn't protect him. I think Seth Johnson, who's coming back from Tommy John, but just like the Orioles were willing to, to take a one year flyer on him, right, as part of the uh, the Mancini trade. Why would you then give some other organization the opportunity to take him? Like, he, he's he got to be on the 40-man. And then I think Noah DeNoyer, who was undrafted and not – I think he just started popping up on Orioles' top 30 list um, in the last probably three months. I, I think he could be a potential volume reliever at the major league level. You can never have enough pitching. And I would go ahead and grab him as well, guys, because off the top of my head, Yusniel Diaz, Anthony Bemboom, Jake Cave, who they just claimed off waivers from the Mariner or from the the Twins, Lewis Head, Joey Crable, like that's just some of the people you could take off the forty man roster to make room. Sure. And Aguilar, Chirinos, Odor, and if they don't pick up his player option, uh, Lyles. Lyles, that creates space right there as well. No, you have a ton of room, and obviously the Orioles are going to bring in some free agents and trade acquisitions where they're probably going to give up some of these top minor league prospects in order to do so. But on the fringe of that list, is there anyone where you're like, eh, I'd like to keep him, but... um, Well, look, I, I Zach Peake I thought was really putting it together. Now, he, he got he, hurt. Tommy yeah. John, I mean... He's never pitched above double A. Would someone would have really like would the Pirates or somebody like that claim him? I mean, it's possible. Um, you know, and they also had Kyle Brenovich, another pitcher who they got in those series of trades with the Angels, who was profiling well at double A. Then he got shut down. Tommy John as well. I, I, I think you you know if you could discuss that. Outside of that, I don't. I don't see a whole lot. You know, Robert Newstrom repeated AAA. Yeah. It was much better the first time than the second time. You know, they have some catchers who are kind of interesting. Cody Roberts, Maverick Hanley. Yeah. Is someone going to claim them and keep a catcher all year? I, I don't know. I don't think so. And conversely, for the O's, where we know that this organization has a fetish when it comes to the Rule 5 draft, I mean, do you see them even 
trying. I, I would year. think that their forty man is going to be Good to enough. the point, yeah. deep depth wise and quality wise, mm-hmm. where you're going to have a hard time finding somebody else's forty fourth guy who's better than our thirty ninth. I'm not. I mean, you never know. And, and look, their analytics department's always going to be searching. But I will be interested to see how the numbers work, though, because let's face it, if they make trades, yeah, there could be a, you know, as we were just talking to Jim Hunter about, there could be a Hayes in there, there could be a Mullins, but it's more likely than not that the bulk of the guys who they wave bye-bye to in trades haven't reached the 40-man yeah. roster yet, right? So you're you're adding veterans you have to put on, you're trading two or three pieces who aren't on, you still have to, in real time, constantly, obviously, make those numbers match. So I guess that's a long way of saying... Seth Johnson, Joey Ortiz, Grayson Rodriguez, Drew Rom, if you, you know, Denoyer, Peak, Brunovich, whatever. Just because they're all protected yeah. uh, going into that draft doesn't mean through the course of the hot stove league that yeah. some of them have to be exposed on waivers because you got to make room at the end for a major league talent. Let's switch gears to the Arizona Fall League, Jason. And uh, uh, Jim Hunter alluded to this as well. Heston Kerstad swinging quite a bat out there. Yeah, it's good to see because, you know, he he did what everybody thought and hoped he would do at Delmarva, and then he got to Aberdeen, and it, it kind of uh, stagnated, and, and he didn't quite take off. He was better towards the end than at the beginning for sure. But that ballpark and that – league is tough and it's been tough on a lot of hitters and Kalzer and those guys Norby weren't matching quite at Aberdeen like they did when they moved on to double a and triple a but for a kid who's missed so much time my real sincere hope was he plays every day in Arizona he mashes and you know what maybe they bump him to Bowie now I, I just think a kid who was drafted that high it's gonna be 24 having to restart at high a you know what I mean but yeah. but he hadn't mastered that league yet, and they always say, we don't want to bring you up till you master it. Well, guess what? The Arizona Fall League is much tougher competition. It's only been seven games, but he's second in the league with 11 hits. He's got three doubles. He has two homers, seven driven in, uh, 344, 382, 625 slash line. That comes out to an OPS north of 1,000. Uh, yeah, I think it's a big development, and if he can continue that through the month, then I think you, you got to start him at double A. You know, you've missed two years of development, and and maybe he struggles there longer than you'd think, but th- this could be the, the perfect way to put a cherry on top of a season that hasn't, you know, that, that, that still wasn't everything you'd want it to be because he started late and because he ended at high A. And the fact that he got on the field this year it just had to be so big for his psyche because you have myocarditis and then during spring training with the hamstring missing the first couple months well i'm sure it was but then you're also watching a kid who's drafted a year later than you finish a triple a and rake there another mm. outfielder well, colton Kowser. you know what i mean like you're so like yeah there's that but it's like jordan westberg was drafted after me and he's not gonna He's got 27 home runs, and he, he spent 90, 90 games in AAA, drove in 100 runs. Well, I don't disagree with that, but I'm saying injuries and the health condition is what well, No, I mean, I, th- I think at first yes. that like that was amazing for him, and then it's yeah. like he's looking around Reality. saying, wait a minute, this depth chart yeah. is not what it was when I got drafted. No, it's, it's changed uh, a, a great deal. Hey, coming up next here on the program, time to hear what's T-Bone's thinking. It's TMI with TIM. What you got? It's MLB Playoffs. World Series is going to be in a couple weeks. So I got thinking, have you ever won a sports championship? Any league? Little We're talking league, youth? Little league, youth? high school. Youths? What did you, it, you say? Youths? Two youths. It, it could be 
21 plus. It could be 21 Scott. plus. It definitely could, not. It yeah. could be Sky Lamar, which we'll hear from ah, Ken yeah. and his sports that he I played there. Stony Baloney. We'll talk to him. And hey, I'll talk to you. 410-583-1057. Ever won a championship? Wow. Any crazy stories from the championship? You hit a walk-off home run. You caught the game-winning touchdown. 410-583-1057. We're getting into that next on Inside Access. Inside Access. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my word. Podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.